Women of Science and Music, 30 Celebrations, Episode 13, A Towering Mathematical Poet. There's many a lass of the scientist clan that has followed her brief in the field. She has sworn, she has cursed, been ignored and abused, but a scientist never can I am Frances M. Lynch, the Artistic Director of Electric Voice Theatre, and you are most welcome to the 13th episode of our podcast series, Women of Science and Music, 30 Celebrations. This march, in its original version, The March of the Cameron Men by Mary Maxwell Campbell, is a reminder that noise, often made by the military in past centuries, would have been a feature of everyday life in the Tower of London, a place well known to the subject of our podcast today, the mathematical poet Elizabeth Tollett. Her life and work is a particular specialism of Dr Patricia Farah, Emeritus Fellow of Clare College, Cambridge, who is joined by Essex poet Lelia Farrow, whose work on an Essex County Council initiative, Snapping the Stiletto, addresses the misleading stereotype of the Essex girl. An international scholarly perspective comes from Megan Kremper, an upper-year honours student at the University of King's College Halifax in Nova Scotia, whose research on diversity introduced Tollett's poetry to their History of Science and Technology programme. We begin with a musical perspective from our Echoes from Essex project. Sung by the Essex Virtual Choir. Elizabeth Tollett was, I think, an absolutely wonderful 18th century poet who lived from 1654 to 1754, and for the first part of her life, she lived mostly in the Tower of London, where her, her father was a naval official. She was trapped inside the tower. All she could do is wander round and round the ramparts with only her books for company. She was confined in two ways, physically within the tower, psychologically by being a woman. She just didn't have the same opportunities that men did. And that made her very angry right throughout her life. She went on writing poetry, protesting about the essential captivity that women were kept in during the 18th century. And she was lucky enough to be independently wealthy, wealthy enough 
to buy a house in Essex and write her poetry. We have Elizabeth Pollock's writings from Essex, possibly because of the place that she was living in. I'd actually never been to Essex when I came to live in Withenhoe 17 years ago. Oh, she chose to live in Essex. Now I feel like I'm an Essex girl. Her father had a country property which was in Staffordshire and she lived there for a while and then at some stage, we don't know exactly when, she moved to Essex, presumably because she wanted to move to Essex, because she had friends there, there were quite a lot of literary people living in Essex, so it was very much a positive and I choice. I think this is something that I really relate to in the poetry we've been reading, is this kind of like outsider position. She went to live in Stratford, which is now part of London, but there's a lovely picture from the 18th century showing this little village with a little river and a nice curved bridge over it. So it was very different. Yeah, I spent a lot of time looking at Essex from the perspective of the here and now, but also looking back through the layers into our past. It has a very, very rich story. John Locke the philosopher. He lived in Essex and Isaac Newton used to go and visit him at his house in Essex. And that, of course, is how I first became interested in Elizabeth Tollett. To find these things, you kind of have to scratch the surface a little bit. George Tollett introduced his super clever daughter, who was good at maths, to Isaac Newton. And it's on record that he liked her work and he praised her and talked to her. One of the things I've been learning to do is how to look. And that's kind of what I write about. She wrote a long elegy about Isaac Newton on the night that he died. Women's achievements are not as well documented. I was mainly looking at underrepresented voices and I came across Elizabeth Tollett. For Snapping the Stiletto, it was very much about exploring the archives in Essex and working with the museum curators and the general public to give a voice to these women. I was mainly just trying to compile a list of people who had been doing work in science that had been traditionally obscured or underrepresented. She's a spokeswoman for thousands and thousands and thousands of other very intelligent young women who we know virtually nothing about. That haughty man, unrivaled and alone, may boast the word of science all his own, as barbarous tyrants to secure How do you amplify these voices when it seems like people can only hold one thread? There are very few women in the history of science. They've tended to be completely ignored. There's all of these interconnected histories and there's all of these important women who have always existed in all of these different places. If you think about how it is that science became so important, in the modern world. Poets who are often scientists, but they don't fit either mold entirely, and so then people never know how to talk about them. It's not all about discovery. It's also about communication, education, illustration, 
And that's where women really came into their own. One of the lines that struck me when she's talking about the refraction of light in a prison is taking something that one would probably read in a textbook. There's a strong history of poetry and science. Isaac Newton himself couldn't be bothered to explain his theories to anybody. But women, including Elizabeth Tollett, could understand what he'd written and they were very good at communicating. Bringing it to life in the poetic form. Women were writing in the ladies' journal about science. Busy making sure that science got recorded and illustrated and that it went into the school syllabus and that children learnt about it and that people abroad could learn about the latest ideas. It's almost making science more accessible because it's presenting it in a very imaginative way. One can rewrite the history of science to give them a more prominent role. I'm trying to give myself permission to use technical words and to explore difficult terminology and be brave enough to put that into my work like Tollett does. One of the poems she wrote was a poem about Anne Boleyn. Elizabeth Tollett's Hypatia poem is just this yearning for a different life. And of course Anne Boleyn was a captive in the town at the end of her life. Elizabeth Tollett was uniquely able to empathise with Anne Boleyn. She doesn't sound happy. Trapped in her room. She sounds trapped. This was Tollett at least didn't get her head chopped off. It's her voice coming through the wall. And of all the people to write a poem about Anne Boleyn, she knew exactly what it felt like. Pain and anger. Be trapped in that tower with no prospect of escape. Her poetry is so often like an internal lament. What cruel laws depress the female kind to humble cares and servile tasks. It feels very personal. Her gender is always depressed by these laws, these cruel laws. Later on though, she tries to set herself free by using a woman to explore the heavens. It's almost like her entrapment Yet, and the tower she creates this very, forces, very vivid, imaginative life. And far above the orb, one of the female poets who deserves to be recovered because her poetry is wonderful in its own right, independent of the fact that she's a neglected woman. She's got this very beautiful structure and the internal rhymes are incredible. So the technicality to, to make all of those things hold together and then having this amazing social commentary and defiance coming out as the arc above all of it. I mean, they're really stunning, they really are. But I think it really resonates with me because she articulated so wonderfully 
what thousands of other women must also have been feeling. It's a very strong voice and her imagination and everything that she's studied kind of coming out in this wonderful form. Defiant, liberated, rebellious, shrewd, hard-working, determined. She's a very good example of an early Essex girl. I think Tollett's got a very generous spirit and I think for me the music really it was quite emotional to listen to and it really captured that loving spirit that we can find between us. We know it's there and we know we all share it. Set me as a piece of music was just very, very beautiful and very evocative of, you know, those kind of very rich and uplifting feelings that we can experience and share with one another. Set me as a seal upon thine heart, one of four canons for winsome by Imogen Holst, a setting of text from the Song of Songs written in 1946 at Dartington Summer School and dedicated to a fellow teacher and close friend, Winsome Bartlett. It was performed by myself with my fellow electric voice theatre singers Alice Privet, soprano, Simone Ibbett-Brown and Margaret Cameron Mezzos and David Shepherd. Countertenor. We would like to thank Judith Ratcliffe from Britain Peers Arts for providing the score and to the Holst Foundation for permission to record this unpublished work. Thanks to our speakers, Dr Patricia Farah, Lelia Farrell and Megan Kremper. And many thanks to you for listening. That's the end of episode 13, A Towering Mathematical Poet. Part of our Echoes from Essex project with Chelmsford Civic Theatre and Essex 2020, supported using public funding by the National Lottery through Arts Council England. Please head over to our websites where there are many more fascinating stories and music on Minerva Scientifica. .co.uk and you can find out more about the Echoes from Essex project at electricvoicetheatre.co.uk and why not follow us on Twitter? Do join us for episode 14 of Women of Science and Music 30 Celebrations as we discover a pioneer of computer programming who lived before such mathematical engines existed.